So basically, I mean, from your previous stories, that because of Bear Pen, everybody was intertwined and made the bigger ski resorts today. Well, I'll give you an example. The Ski Spree Trail on Bear Pen, before that, all the trails were built narrow because originally there was no snowmaking. Mm-hmm. So they kept them narrow to hold the snow so that the sun wouldn't affect them as much. Right. Okay. So Ben, because he had the advantage of accumulating so much snow, he bought he built this nice big boulevard, which was the ski spray. And that became when the snowmaking came into play, they were able to to start doing this type of stuff. Now and and they emulated what he had done. Uh, Stowe started spreading, and they all, they all started creating these big, big, wide trails, rather than the little narrow ones, with the exception of Mad River Glen. Welcome to Inside the Line, the Catskills. This episode is brought to you by Scenic Route Guiding. If you're ready to hit the trails, make sure you take the Scenic Route. Our guides are here to help you with your goals, big or small. Check out the Scenic Route Guiding and Gear Rentals on Instagram and Facebook for more information. Also, if you mention the podcast, you can get 10% off. Use the code MOUNTAINLION. MOUNTAINLION. Hey everyone, thanks again for listening to Inside the Line, the Catskills. This is part two of the Bear Pen Mountain story, also known as the Princeton Ski Bowl, which once was a ski center located near Pattsville, just outside of the Catskill Park. Amazing, fascinating story, and me and Russ L. talked over two hours about this story. Some topics went a little bit off the uh, story of Bear Pen, but that's okay. And uh, it was a great time. Hopefully I'll get Russ back on to talk more about ski centers and maybe more about Bear Pen, because it's a really fascinating story. So... Once again, enjoy part two of Bear Pen Mountain. How many uh, lines did they have? How many lanes did they have for skiing? Uh, let's see. You had the Plunge Trail, which was the big expert trail, which you can still walk kind of cleared off at this point. You had Ski Spree, which was the major big trail in the middle. You had the Bear Pen Run, which was created by the Slutskis at the very end in 57. You had um, several different, like a headwall trail at the very top. You had a beginner's area. There was a little rope toe up there. Um, There was a summit slope. And then there was what they called uh, the beginner area uh, far off on the one side, more to the north, above the pond. This is about six runs. The ski spree... The ski spree was the trail that eventually that that would be the one that at the end of the day they would all go down to the bottom of the mountain on. That was the only trail that went to the bottom. Now eventually they cut a, a line for the the new lift that was going to be put in place, and that was the last thing to be done before the demise came that ruined the place. So that was six six lanes for to ski on, correct? I'd say about six, six or seven, yeah. 
Nice. The top ones, you got to remember what I said about the top vertical. It was only a 100 foot of vertical, but it was steep vertical. Mm-hmm. And the one beginner area was off to the side, so it was a little more gentle. A bunch of trails up at the very top, like the plunge trail, that was part of the 100 foot vertical. So you could ski that. It had its own little rope toe. Oh, wow. Yeah, but then you could continue on down to the bottom of the 600 foot vertical at 3,000 feet and right up through into the middle and, and all the way to the very top. So, how many did they have any rope toes or T bars uh, located on this? All there was, there was the main rope toe which covered the, the 600 vertical. There was off to the left-hand side of the plunge expert trail. There was a, a rope toe there. There was a little tiny baby rope toe where the service, the uh, first aid service building was. Um, this is a short little thing for people who never skied to learn to ski. Um, there was a summit toe that went off in a small, it had about the 100 foot vertical on the one side. Um, there was a steep and a summit slope. And then there was another rope toe over on the beginner's area on the north side. So most of the transportation was done by the snow jitneys, which was the army trucks, correct? Those were the way that people got up to the ski area. Okay. How, that was, how long of a ride was that? Like nine miles? Oh, God. Talking, um, probably three miles. Oh, not bad. Three not miles. bad. Yeah, yeah. I mean, once you got up to the call uh, below Round Top, the whole thing's basically flat. Okay. There's two summits of Bear Pen. There's the, the, the summit, uh, lower summit of Bear Pen at 3,500 feet, which is directly on the Delaware Green Line. And then there's the summit, the summit of Bear Pen, which is where the ski area was. Ah, okay. I I see that on the map. Excellent. And that was in between that was where the pond and and the lodge and stuff was located. Correct. Yeah, it was off the as you came, as you came towards the ski area, there'd be a parking lot where the snow jitneys and the people would unload, and then they would walk down a trail. And as you're walking down the trail, on your right hand side would be the um, the pond, which turned into a uh, Olympic size uh, hockey rink. Wow. And then a little bit further, you would add the lodge. And that's where you would, you know, you'd already paid when you went on the ski, the, the, the jitneys to come up, you already paid to go skiing. In some of your pictures, I, I noticed that uh, on your webpage that those snow jitneys were covered uh, at times, like, like 10, 12 feet of snow, correct? Not the, the jitneys. The jitneys were army trucks uh-huh. with canvas back. Okay, people would there would be benches on each side of that thing. You know, it it had like a, a ten foot wide bed that was covered up with these canvases, and people would be loaded into them, and then they would take the ride up to the lodge. Oh, I think what I meant was uh, that the snow was high enough to cover those when they drove through. Correct? At sometimes. Oh yeah. That was the because you got to remember the snow was blowing onto that road, and oh, they wow. used to have snow plows that come through. Eventually, one year there was so much snow they had to close. <laughs> no they shit. couldn't. They couldn't maintain it. There was too much snow, and that's oh. where you see the pictures of of the trucks going through, and they're you know 
the people are standing on the snow that's above the truck. Wow. Yeah, those are the pictures that I saw. It almost reminds me of like stuff in California at 12,000 feet. Yeah, like Donner Pass, kind of like that type of stuff. Sure. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. that's crazy. You know, there's a lot of times I, uh, I I would look at Dr. some of Dr. Lane's information and he would have snow reports. And Bear Pen would have, you know, uh, good to excellent skiing and, nobody, and everybody else didn't even have snow. Wow. <laughs> and that was the advantage of location and the and the elevation nobody nobody would accept it unless you went up into vermont would do that and that was a whole nother another situation yeah and and incredible so he had the eye to catch that stuff when he was looking at bel-air well yeah it's kind of you know the guy's got six degrees <laughs> that's true he's um, an ontologist and he's a sidekicker of nutrition and all this stuff He's an outstanding, he's a very, very intelligent man. Very intelligent. You know, and he was president of the outing club. He, he graduated from Princeton University with, with all kinds of people. Yeah. Donald Rumsfeld was in his class. He graduated with R- Donald Rumsfeld. Interesting. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, he was a brain. There's no doubt about it. And he still is to this day. But he's, he's a fantastic guy. He really is. Yeah, and and until I did this, nobody really even cared or knew about this place. Yeah, and then it and then yeah. it blew up because it, it's a fascinating story. I gotta admit. Yeah, it, it really it would have been an even more fascinating story if it had continued. Oh yeah, but, so um, w- w- an intriguing thing that I I saw in one of your things on, on online on your the internet, Doctor. Uh, ben Lane made a deal with the locals that he would employ them in the winter. And then also in the summer, they could use his lodge and his area, the area they could keep it for their farming. He wouldn't do anything. Like you said, they built a lodge up top instead of down below. Is, is that correct? Yeah. Well, it was a double-edged sword. I mean, these people are farmers, you know, so when you're working cows in the wintertime, there's only so much you can do in the wintertime, you know, uh, and in the summer times, they were all at the base of Bear Pen with their farms, taking care of what they're doing. So a lot of the people that were farming during the the summer and fall and spring, they would spend their winters operating lifts and, and taking care of different things on top of Bear Pen. And it became a very community-oriented thing because in that period of time, that's all those people knew was, was that, going to church and square dancing. <laughs> no. well, well this was a brand this is a brand new thing and, and and they saw what it was and they saw the possibility of their little town becoming you know going on the map so to speak you know i mean I, to me that's a hell of a deal to employ the locals instead of bringing in your own and then also in the in the summer like hey you know you guys can maybe use the lodge for hikers who want to buy your, your certain market products, or you can stay at the bottom and, and do your stuff. That's an incredible deal. Well, of course. Of course. I mean, you know, when Ben first came in the summertime after seeing this the repetitive snow on top of bear pen and he, and he came up through maps and just he came up to people probably working in the field or around their cows and started asking questions. You know, and they were pretty conducive to helping him 
come up and find out what was going on because at that point in time, he was just a guy coming up to explore. Mm. The the possibility of a scary wasn't really thought of. I mean, it was, but the all the elements of thought that didn't really come together at that point. It came in afterwards. And as he kept coming back, then they started realizing this guy is not, he's not some kind of nut job. <laughs> or maybe he was a nut job. But, and he was serious about what was going on. And they, they made deals for, for pieces of land for him to use, even though he didn't own. And, and they put him forth to other people who had these woodlots. And that's how he, he eventually bought the land, you know? So they trusted him. Exactly. Exactly. And that's just basically the simple people, you know? They, they knew their, their simple life of taking care of the cows, and that's how they made the living, selling milk, mm-hmm. delivering it to the creamery so they could, could get by. That's, their life was very, very simple. And here comes this guy from the city, a little bit different. He probably looked at me, oh, geez, he's a city guy or, you know, whatever. <laughs> but after a while, they got to know him as a friend. Yeah. And then the rest kind of just fell in place. I mean, the same kind of thing happened for me when I went down there to find out about the ski area. You know, they they, they found out that, they, I mean, I I first found out about Bear Pen through contacting uh, the Roxbury Town Assessor, a guy named Bob Hall. And Bob was very open to, to what I was doing, and he told me what I had to know to get going. And he put me on to his son, uh, to come down to his, his son's place. He had ATVs and he says, I'll take you out the bear pen and give you a basic explanation of what's going on. You can see what's happening because to walk up there, it's a two hour walk to the summit. And once I got up there, I wouldn't know about it. These guys had been up there on that mountain riding their ATVs. So they knew all the things that were going on. They, they didn't know the elements of it because they were displaced from the generation. But then that led to uh, a gentleman by the name of Tom O'Hare, who had a local gas station, who was around at that time to supply. He used to, every day that the operation of the skier went on, he would go up to the top of the mountain with gas. Okay, wow. so he had a hands-on thing. And then after the skier area closed, he became a uh, ski patrol guy on Scotch Valley. Mm. Which is now dormant. You know, we used to after Scotts Valley became Deer Run, just to yeah. put it in perspective. And that, I mean, that's that skier sitting there dead as a doornail with his list still there. Yep. Yeah, I remember Scotts Valley. Yeah, it's it was a nice little place. I skied it back when I was a kid. You know, yep. it was easy to get to. It wasn't expensive. Yep. Uh, it was up and down after a while. It wasn't some place I was going to make a, a steady habit of. You know, but mm. I mean, I'd rather make a have a place like Platicale. Yeah. So, so I, basically, I would much rather see than, than Hunter or Wyndham or especially Bel Air. To me, Bel Air is a joke. <laughs> it is. Um, so, so basically, Dr. Lane became friends with the locals and the locals trusted him. And they were just like, yeah, go ahead. You know, if, if you em- employ us and if you stick with us, then, then we trust you. That's, that's amazing. I, to me, that's phenomenal. Yeah, they used to have big picnics up there and everything. To me, trusting a, a city person to come up and, you know, build this this place up there is huge. Oh, sure. Well, you got to remember, um, 
Ben's father was also an eye doctor. So that's how Dr. Lane kind of migrated into that. And Ben's brother was an opera singer and a fantastic tenor voice. His only problem was he's such a small guy that he didn't fit the part of a, you know, some of these other guys. And you have to, when you think of a, a tenor in opera as a big, robust type gentleman, mm. and Ken was a small guy, but his voice was outstanding. Uh, and Ben's mother was a very pursuant and um, very structured and thought person. I mean, all those pictures that I had um, scanned, he had put together an organ. When I first looked at it, he had Paul put away. Nobody had looked at him for years. They're sitting in a box. And I opened this thing up, and everything is labeled with dates and people that are there and all kinds of stuff. It was, it was perfect. So when I went and scanned it and I categorized all these pictures, it, the whole story kind of fell together just because she did the dates. And I, I, I feel bad that I never got to meet her. She, she, she passed away a couple of years before I actually ran into Dr. Lane. But she was a blessing in disguise, you know. And she was an element of this that uh, was part of the story, you know. Ben's father was there also. I mean, they... They opened up the door for the original investment for the land of the ski area. Um, and then uh, because of Dr. Lane's uh, father being in, in a practice, he had to maintain that right through Monday through Friday and Saturdays. And uh, Ben was on his kind of his own with his mother, and she would go up there with him, and she'd keep Ben in line, you know, because he was, at the time, he was, you know, just out of college, and early 20s. So he, he had some maturing to do as an individual, although his intelligence was still just as probably as sharp, or if not sharper than it is now. Wow. Just so it's so fascinating. Yeah. It's, it's great how he took the locals in and, you know, they didn't see him as greedy and, and reject him. So I, I think that's phenomenal. I think that's beautiful. Yeah. Well, you're talking the time in the fifties. It's a much different thing that you couldn't do that today to say everybody want a PC and all this other stuff. Yeah. You know, correct. The, it, you know, uh, when I think about Killington and how that was built, I mean, Press Smith had people with lots of money behind him. And he also, Killington is built on the Calvin, in the Calvin Coolidge forest. So there's not really, he had to get the okay for them to do that, you know, because before that, the only thing of that magnitude as he had started, it was Stowe. It had already, and that was built on, on not own land. It was, it, it's kind of like what uh, the ski areas out in Colorado, they, they kind of lease the land, you know, that type of thing. So it, it's a different arrangement. He had all the power and the wit to go. I mean, uh, first year they got a couple Palma lifts up on on Killington, and the next year they're putting in this magnificent chairlift to the top of Killington. Mm-hmm. So they had a plan that had a lot of money, so it had a lot of push, and it didn't have some of the obstacles that would would come into play with Ben. Ben started out small. I mean, it was only rope toes at that time, 
But if it had been allowed to continue very quickly, you know, like I said, the story with Gene Palmogowski uh, to create the first detachable chairlift, I'm sure it would probably be a single chairlift. But, uh, you know, you had all kinds of guys like Victor Hall from Hall List, and all these these people that came to him because they, they heard about what Bear Pen was. Um, there was at the time a ski journalist by the name of Lloyd, Lloyd Lambert, and he would have shows on every weekend about these skiers, and he came to it, and he realized it. See, once you go there, you really realize what the place is about. Mm-hmm. Even now that it's not a ski area, you still have that feeling like, God, what, what is going on here, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's not a ledgy mountain. It's not like Hunter where, you know, I, I can remember talking to Orville Susky many times, and he says, oh, we never used dynamite on this. I mean, he dynamited the whole damn place, you know? Oh, you yeah. had to kind of know Orville. He was a good guy. He really was. Yeah. You know, a lot of people, when he first started that, he, you know, he employed a lot of people. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, he, Hunter's kind of a sleepy town compared to even Tannersville. Tannersville became the the mecca for everybody to party at. Well, Hunter stayed kind of simple, but he employed all these people and he gave them the opportunity. Uh, Even my friend Alfred Truesdell, who was son of Herb Truesdell, who ran one of the lifts up on Bear Pen, he had his start over on Hunter with a gentleman, uh, Mike Rossiter, who had started uh, with Walter on Mohawk Mountain when they were first start making the snow, and then he went to Mount Snow in its infancy when it first started. So again, all these things are related. They're all tied in. Uh, When Hunter started out, they wanted to put in snowmaking, and they came to the same guys that originally farted around with uh, snowmaking on Mohawk Mountain, and then eventually created the system on Grossinger's. Uh, he, Bill Gilbert, who, again, he's part of his ski history because he had a, a buddy in him, a both ran their own skiers in, in the south part of New York. Bill ran uh, Fonstock, and I can't remember the name of the other place that his, uh, his buddy uh, Edwards ran, who was on the other side of the river. But Bill had his springboard, with the company that, that had first created the snowmaking uh, technology. And eventually, he landed until the day he died at Catamount, where I interviewed him. And on his desk, he had the first uh, snowmaking um, fixture. It was almost like a sprinkler sitting right on his desk with him while I talked to him. But wow. he was brought to Hunter to talk to them about making a snowmaking system. And he said it couldn't be done. And then the Slutskis <laughs> went and did it anyway. Wow. And they came, and their thing back in the 70s was that we are the snowmaking capital of the world. <laughs> Crazy. In the Catskills. It's all tied in. It's all tied in. And again, if this was going on this time period, it would never be. It'd be too many people trying to shoot off each other and, and they just take advantage of it. We're living in times where everybody's got to make something off of somebody else, you know. Yep. Back then, they put forth their efforts just to pursue something because men were real men, you know. And I'm not saying there wasn't a few scoundrels along the way. I'm sure, you know, it's, that's part of history, too. But, but for the general part, 
it wasn't what it is today, you know? Correct. Yeah. It's a sad thing, but, you know, yeah. I mean, after I had written the story and everything, I tried to pursue getting Bear Pan going again mm -hmm. um, through a consortium of individuals that own the land. And uh, that kind of fell through for a couple reasons. I had an architect, I had an engineer picked out. Uh, I had, had talked with all the people as far as the consortium, one of which is the owner of the land that was sitting next to the ski area that Dr. Lane eventually owned. Uh, he eventually owned as the next expansion and, um, of the ski area. The guy who bought from uh, previous owners the bottom of it, Dr. Lane finally eventually sold to him. So he's got the whole thing, and he's got a little place called uh, the Bear Mountain Recreation Center. Mm -hmm. But he was, you know, he was going to be part of the consortium. And at that time, I could have. And then uh, the main investors for that were in Enron. And, you know, probably about the story of that, or anybody can look it up, what happened there. <laughs> yep. And there was a, a guy who moved in to retire in Connecticut. He would, had lived in the Valley his whole life. He didn't want the ski area. So uh, between all these elements and um, other people came and they would say, this is fantastic. The view from the top of the mountain is second to none. Yep. Second to none. Yep. And um, we can't figure out, see all these places now, they want to be able to invest and bring their, get their money coming back in seven years. Well, there's mm -hmm. none of them that could see that as a possibility. It's just just too costly, yeah. you know. Plus, you'd have to you'd have to go in now with probably a six pack, and a, probably another quad, and maybe another little lift for beginner area. Mm -hmm. But it, it, the money, the investment, would be just too much to fathom because you're now at this point in competition with Hunter down the mountain, Bel Air on the other side, Wyndham, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, Platicill really wouldn't be a, too much of a challenge. Platicill mm. is yeah. its own little story. It, it has its own people that, that that graduate towards it, and and I can see why. If you ski Platicill, you understand that. Yeah, it's definitely a local favorite. Um, so, if I remember correctly from your your story, something happened later on that. Dr. Lane couldn't pursue or couldn't go further with the, the building of Bear Pen. Can you uh, explain what happened? Yes. Um, in 1958, one of his work, there was, there was a piece of land before the area that was owned by the state of New York that had been deemed by the deed to be forever wild. Ben got uh, an easement to cut a very narrow road as the extension to bring it to the parking lot so that he could get to the ski area with the state. One of the workers went in and took down some trees along the side of that, that narrow easement. Uh, Rangers went up and they found, they, they discovered this and they pulled, they pulled his permit for a while. And then it was brought back and, by the time it had been brought back, they didn't get to do all the necessary infrastructure to make the ski area go for that year. It kind of limped that year. But also, uh, just afterwards, 
Dr. Lane had been starting on a road around the backside of the mountain that linked up to the land that he owned on Delaware County so that he could avoid that piece of land, okay? And that piece of land was owned by the family that when Dr. Lane first came to the mountain, they brought him up there to show him what was going on on Bear Pen, okay? So they were, it was a friendly relationship at the time. And what happened was there was a surveyor, a New York State surveyor by the name of Ed West, who had found it necessary to go up there and start um, redesigning, I'll, I'll use that word, um, the lines. The Green County line stayed as it was, but there's a line up at the top, um, which is called the Halkett line, and that would run at a 90 off of that Green County, Delaware line. And that's just below the summit of Bear Pen, or the lower summit of Bear Pen. And if you look at the deed to that property, it is the only property up there whose written language as to the boundaries of, the, of that, that piece of property were lines. So the one line of the property was the Delaware Green Line, and that was written in the deed. The other property was the Halkett Line, okay, that's written in the deed. The lower elevation line was the Prattsville Line. It kind of went as a diagonal off the side. Um, and, and then, of course, the last, the last line was there was a certain amount of what they called at the time chains, which developed from a point on the Prattsville line back up to the Halkett line, up at the high elevation, okay? So there wasn't anything like other properties that would be uh, determined from that. Every piece of property would, okay, you're the next uh, uh, a bounded lane, or, or how, how could I say this? The next property over would be based upon what that property was. So you had X amount of chains along the Halkett line over to that, okay? So what Ed West did was, and before even Bear Pen, uh, he had gone through in many places in the Catskills and reset these lines and he had a gentleman by the name of Percy Goth, who was his kind of his, well, when I, when I talked slightly to Percy about it, he says, well, Ed West was like my father. So as a New York State representative surveyor, he really couldn't do anything to own the property or do anything that would have anything to do with it, but he could convey information based upon what he did to make it an advantage where someone else could uh, use that information to change things. Now, in my story on the internet, I have on the page the original topographical setup with the Halkut line, and it was further down along the intersection of the Green Delaware line. Yeah. So what Ed West did was he moved that intersection up. Now that took place before Dr. Lane had come. The, the, the surveying was done in the late 40s. Mm -hmm. So the property, what's, ha what's happened now is that, that one piece of forever wild land, now 
the Halkett line is not where it's about where it used to be. It's now up up top of the mountain. So now the lower piece of property, which is on the other side of the Halkett line, which is owned by the family that Ben originally came up and found out about Bear Pen. They, they, they showed him what was going on up there. They had allowed Dr. Lane to use that land so that he could build a road. It was called the Bed Hollow Trail, and that's what's referring to that side of the mountain. The, the, one of the scoops on the back is called Bed Hollow, and it would hook up to and cross the Delaware line to, onto another piece that Dr. Lane had uh, up on the top of the mountain that he put his his road on to get to the ski area. So what he was trying to do was go around the forever wildland so we wouldn't have to worry about the permit again, okay? So what Percy Gaut did with the information that was going on, and this, I, ha I don't know this for a fact because I never asked Percy the question, but uh, common sense shows me that this was all in place before Ben had even gone to the ski area. He, he, in other words, he went to the mountain not knowing what, what was cooking ahead of him. And uh, Ben had started the land, and then eventually they, they figured out uh, how they were going to bamboozle this land away. And he came and he got quick claims on the piece based upon what the line used to be from the old relatives. Okay? So then he, had, then he went into it, and that's what started a 10-year court case over the land. And eventually, basically, Ben had a lawyer that said, no, we're going to win, we're going to win, we're going to win. And then uh, the judge came to, to Ben and says, hey, can you guys make a deal here to, you know, you can give him half of this and that. And he says, no, and the lawyer's going, no, we're going to win. So then it was settled, and Ben lost, ben, ben lost the court case. And all that land that the skier was built on became Percy Goff's. Wow. Okay. Unbelievable. And then he went in and built the road, which is now in place that you can walk up. And I, I think he was, he had hunters. He used to bring uh, in jeeps and stuff up that road. And he would lease these areas up there where they used to sit and shoot deer and stuff like that. Wow. And then eventually, and then he put together. Uh, he he basically stole that whole land from that from the Johnson family, and that runs all along the back backside of Bear Pen and over and, and incorporated into a piece on Bly Mountain, which is a, a mountain to kind of the south of Bear Pen. It's mm -hmm. kind of on the same ridge. Uh, it's another peak. It's like uh, thirty five thousand, thirty five hundred high. And then he sold the whole thing to the state of New York for one dollar less than a million. Holy shit! And now it's all land. So technically, the state of New York owns stolen land, oh and my. that is the Bear Park. Wow! I presented this to um, down at the Green County County Building because uh -huh. uh, the guy who worked down there that I spoke to. He knew Percy. He had just, back in that time period, he, um, <laughs> Percy used to go down and do all his uh, collection work to obtain information on all these parcels of land. Because back then, there was no internet. He yep. had to do it with the research by all these maps and stuff. So 
So he knew Percy very, very well. And he kind of knew what was going on. And I went to him and I said, listen, this is what happened. And I showed him the old topographical and where the line was and all this stuff. You know, they went as far. The deed to the Forever Wild Peace that I explained, they had it shipped up to Albany. So it wasn't available at the county seat. Wow. But, you know, I said, hey, listen, you, you stay on the York owns land. If you go and look at now how the land is, there used to be, see, all the Catskills were set up on the, with the Harbinger patent, okay, where they had all these parcels set in place. And it used to be that from the Delaware line in the Greene County, it had all these great acre lots. You know, the first one was the Forever Wild Piece. Then the next two were the the Grand Acre lots that Dr. Lane built a ski area on. Then the next two lots were the land that he held on to until he finally sold it to the guy who runs the, the Bear Pen Recreational Area now. And then, then it goes on to the Tuesday Farm, okay? So these Grand Acre lots... And what they were were woodlots. Mm. You know, they, the, the farmers used to go up and cut the trees down so they'd have wood to burn in the wintertime. But what they did was after that land was all accumulated, they now have turned it into all one big piece. The forever wild land has now been deemed back to be regular recreational land. As a, as a, see, Bear Pen is not within the Catskill Blue Line. It's mm-hmm. outside the park, yep. okay? So it, it has a different connotation by the Constitution. It, it, it's a little freer and easier to work with. Um, I believe Platykill is the same way. I think they're yeah. in the same region. I think they are. Yeah. And I'm almost positive about that. So, you know, you have, like even today, if uh, the owner of Bear Pen Mountain could... Uh, afford to put lifts up on there, he would be allowed through the state of New York to go in and um, cut some of the trees down the original ski area and incorporate that into ways to come down the mountain. He can't put a lift on it and he can't put snowmaking on it, but he can do anything else. Oh, wow. Um, right now, the same thing holds true for the snowmobile club. They can go in and cut their snow their trails for their, their machines to ride on and uh, as long as they're not cutting I think anything they can't cut anything over six inches wide oh, okay all that land, all that land's been logged I mean Percy after he accumulated land all that land in that ski area below the, the lodge which is nice and steep beautiful stuff I mean you, you're looking at something bigger than outer limits of Killington mm-hmm it had never been logged. And he went in after he finally accumulated the land and logged the whole thing. So he made money on that. And he also made the money selling the property to the state of New York. Unbelievable. Pretty amazing. That's greed. Yeah, it certainly is. You know, and I, I had many times I was talking to, to Orville Slutsky about this because he knows all the people. Everybody knows it because it's a small... You know, you might be several miles between each other, but there's not a lot of people down there. And everybody kind of knows everybody. And he knew Percy. And he, he, he says, yeah, I have some friend to have, he used to go. Wow. So, 
You know, and Percy's dead now. And that's that's the demise of Bear Pen, uh, because somebody because Percy was hooked up with the town surveyor and the, the judge and they redid the lines and it screwed over um Dr. Ben Lane. Yeah. Well uh, another thing too is it's just like anything else, you know, this case was was seen in that locally, you know. So those people were incorporated and everything because there's a lot of you know, some of these people they get up to a certain point in life, they just kind of cover each other's back, you know, they look the other way, you know, don't really get involved, but they look the other way, you know, and they really should have tried to get this thing tried up in Albany or something rather than down there locally. Yeah, that's that's crazy. Yeah, the judge was local. The Ben's lawyer was local. He should have had somebody from the outside coming along. But when I went to Ben, I pointed out to him, basically, you know, they had an idea that Ben knew how the ski area was stolen away from him, but he didn't know the idiosyncrasies of how the line had moved and what caught, what that caused. Do you follow me? Yep. So that's, that's the sad story of the demise of Bear Pen. Wow. Should have been. Should have been. And that's why, like, uh, when uh, James got going on this and he's an original beast of the East. Well, you're referring to uh, Killington has always been referred to as the beast of the East. So this would really have been the beast of the East before the beast of the East. Yeah. Yeah. So I remember you telling me, I mean, we've had some previous conversations and once again, they were just as awesome as this. So bear pen not being successful really changed the skiing world and the skiing industries in the East Coast. Could you explain that? Well, first of all, where Ben is, where where Bear Pen is located, you know, uh, nowadays anybody who's going on a ski vacation from New York City, I mean, these ski areas become successful because of the money that comes from the big metropolis areas. So the skiers are coming up the throughway. Um, in the case of Vermont, they're going up the throughway, they're getting on the north way, they're getting off in Lake George, and they're cutting over uh, Route 4 to go up into Vermont and ski. I mean, the mountains in Vermont from Killington up are a little bit different configuration, a little more dynamic than, say, if you were to, say, go up through Troy, New York, into Bennington and skied Bromley, Stratton, Mount Snow, and even Okemo, you know, those mountains are much different. So most of the time, because they want that big experience, they're going to go a little bit further. Well, Bear Pen would have offered that big experience closer to home. So it, it stands to reason that they would have benefited from that. In other words, well, why do we want to go to Killington when we can get the same thing, you know, two and a half hours late, or earlier than that, you know? Yeah, you know anybody who skied, they, they know that when you get done skiing or you're, you've been on a vacation, you know the the, the biggest thing you dread is going home. You know? <laughs> yeah. The drive back. Yeah, you're tired out, and you got traffic, especially on a Sunday or something. You know, everybody's trying to go home. I mean, I know how it is all the time. When I used to go down to Doctor Lane, who lives in New Jersey, I used to make a point 
to uh, go down to his place on a Thursday because I didn't want to get involved in the traffic on Friday either way that was going on, you know? Yep. I mean, you've got now even in the summertime people trying to escape New York City, and the the traffic on the thruway is ridiculous. It's not quite as bad now that they got rid of the the Harriman uh, interchange, but uh, it's still a bitch. (laughs) Mm, No doubt about it. So this is part of what's going on. I mean, you the fact that Bear Pen is a, is a is a snow accumulator, where some place where a hunter isn't, they have to they have to spend the money to keep that thing going. And because it it has its own flavor, it attracts a certain amount of skiers. It, it, usually, the skiers on Hunter are of a higher caliber than ones that are going to go to. Bel Air, which is from New York City, easier to get to. Uh, Route 28 is a much easier road to, to travel mm. than trying to get into Hunter. And you're going up through through Palinville, up through that through that notch. I mean, you know, yeah, tougher situation. And then, of course, Wyndham. And Wyndham is a little bit easier to get to, but it's a little bit further out of the way if you're coming from New York City. So, what has happened? Now, especially over the time period that I've been down there, is that Wyndham has spent an enormous amount of money to create uh, a mecca of real estate right there at the bottom of the mountain. Plus, yep. people have um, built their own homes. There's, you go up on the ridge across the way from Wyndham, go up in there and see some of the places these people have built. It's amazing the money. You know? Yep. Million dollar houses. Yeah, they, they they bring their kids up and they be they become part of the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. They, they they are now transforming what used to be a very quiet, peaceful farming community into whatever it is. Yep. And Wyndham has its different flavor from Hunter. Hunter has its different flavor from Bel Air. Uh, High Bel Air probably has the best thing to do with getting rid of them. They mm. couldn't compete. Yeah. You know? And and Platicill, I mean, to me, it, see, Platicill's a little further out. So yeah, yeah. it's people who want to ski it, ski it because of what it is, you know. Yeah. And it really hasn't got much bigger. They added the triple chair on the one side, but all those trails are pretty gentle compared to the original T-Bar place. Now that that chairlift, that hall chairlift that, that Platykill has in there was bought from the state of New York and Bel Air when they replaced some of their chairlifts. Oh, wow. So that's how I came, that came to be. Yeah. So ba- basically, I mean, from your previous stories, that because of Bear Pen, everybody was intertwined and made the bigger ski resorts today. Well, I'll give you an example. The Ski Spree Trail on Bear Pen before that, all the trails were built narrow because originally there was no snowmaking. Mm-hmm. So they kept them narrow to hold the snow so that the sun wouldn't affect them as much. Right. Okay. So Ben, because he had the advantage of accumulating so much snow, he bought he built this nice big boulevard, which was the ski spray. And that became when the snowmaking came into play. They were able to, to start doing this type of stuff now, and, and they emulated what he had done. 
uh, Stowe started spreading, and they all they all started creating these big, big, wide trails rather than the little narrow ones. With the exception of Mad River Glen, Mad River Glen has kind of held on to its own little thing, and they they rebuilt their single chairlift rather than go and put some big chairlift in there. They only have snowmaking at the bottom, and they have their own special flavor, and people love it, and they go there. <laughs> nice, and that's what it's about, right? Well, it's like anything in life. Everybody's different. They, you know, some some person might be a jock and like watching football. The other likes to sit around paint all day long. You know, mm-hmm. and, and, everybody has their own little thing that they want to do, and they do it because they have time to. And there's others that don't have time. They got to keep working their whole life, and then they die. <laughs> yeah. I mean, really, that's what it's about. Yeah, it's you know? it's crazy. Well, everybody's different, I guess. It, you know, but the thing about this is, if Bear Pen had continued instead of being stopped, it would have had to leap on every one of these places, and therefore you would have had so much room that. That ski area would have been huge, and if it was huge enough to accommodate all the flow of the traffic that, say, would go to Vermont, that's where the change would place. That's that's where it would have – I don't know exactly what would happen with Vermont, but I'll tell you there would be a big change about it. There's only so many people who ski, and and the numbers now reflect that there's less people skiing because it's so expensive. Mm-hmm. And these skiers are spending a tremendous amount of money to uh, make snow, okay? Yep. They, they they have to incorporate that into the skiing. Uh, back before when Dr. Lane was around, he didn't have the insurance problems. I mean, there was an accident in um, on Stratton Mountain in the early 60s that changed the whole industry as far as insurance applicability to the attachment of lift tickets and the cost that came about with that. Okay, so a lot of things change. Look at the list now. You know, everything's detachable. Mm. You know, if you're big, you're in a big league, you've got a detachable chairlift. You ain't got some clunker going yep. up the mountain, you know. That's what yep. people want. They, they want they want the experience. You know, they don't want to stand in line. Yep. You know, and, and they're paying big money and it's going up. I mean, I mean, I remember the first time I went skiing, it was $6. I think Killington's one hundred twenty dollars a day now. And how, how far do you drive from New York City to get to Killington? That's like four and a half, five hours, right? Sure. And now here's another thing. Good thing you brought that up. You know, the cost of gas—they're uh-huh. going to rethink that. You know, if Bear Pen was there, that definitely would have changed things. Just, well, we can go to Bear Pen and get the big experience, and we'll spend less money on gas. Wow, unbelievable. You know. The whole dynamics. I, mean, I I can't I can't have a crystal ball and take a look at it, but common sense can show me what what would have happened. It might have delayed the progress of up in Vermont. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, back in this time period, you had only Bel Air. You didn't have Gore Mountain. You know, New York State built Gore Mountain against the wishes of the locals. They had a vote on Gore Mountain. At that time, there was a ski court, North Creek Ski Bowl. They had a little T bar, okay, and it was a thousand foot vertical. And New York decided they're going to build a ski area on Gore Mountain. 
So they put forth a petition about building a ski area to the people in North Creek. It was voted down. The next week, they started building. Wow. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Whiteface, the original Whiteface used to be over on the the road that goes up to the top of uh, top of Whiteface, that toll road. Mm-hmm. By uh, Santa's workshop. I don't even not sure if Santa's workshop's still there, but it used to be a little thing that the locals put together, and it was a time of innocence. They brought their children up, and it was an experience. But off of that road used to be the original Whiteface. Well, they had a lodge fire, burned a lodge down. They went back, and they spent a million dollars on all that infrastructure to build that mountain. And because it was too windy, they decided to move it all over to where the present day ski area is. And then the Olympics came along and they came and spent more money and put more interfuse into the ski area to make it so they could have the Olympic meets there. You know, they had they had to create the downhill to fit a certain criteria. Okay. Yeah. And they just keep on going. Uh the mid lodge that was at Whiteface, that burned down. They redid that. You ought to see that thing now. It's amazing. I mean, the state of New York shouldn't even be involved in ski areas, you know? And the only reason Hunter has survived with all this stuff is because they had to jump from what happened from uh, Hammerstein's little drug problem. Mm. Wow. So Crazy stuff. Now Orville and said and Vermont and Vale owns that and I'm hearing all kinds of horror stories about Vale and uh. I haven't I haven't heard anything really good about Hunter in the past year and a half. I mean for the situation, but Yeah, I, I I have a friend who is a groomer on that mountain and he he had a little piece that he talked about that, you know. He I guess he's gotta watch what he says too, you know. Yeah, yeah, of course. He's yeah, like, yeah. I mean, they brought him out to to, to Breckenridge and stuff, and he learned a lot of stuff and came back. But, you know, people have to, in this day and age, they have to worry about what they say. They, they can't be that open or they're going to get the peepees whacked, you know? <laughs> yeah, I agree. I agree. Well. Now, like I, I'm talking to you about where you lived. I mean, the state of New York, they, they have a ski area there, and that's all closed up, and then they decided that the, that land that the ski area was on is going to be made into a, I think somebody privately did it. Now it's just a, a, a goner. Um, Cobleskill, they had a hall, they had a hall T-bar. I'm assuming it's still there. I mean, that's all built on the wrong side of the mountain. <laughs> and they kept that going. I mean, you know, if people could realize what was, what was happening, uh, through all these interviews that I've had with these people that were involved in things, I could tell you so many things about the state of New York and make you sick. Well, it already does. Or to me is the, is, is the epitome of the gluttonous of the state of New York. We'll have to go into that later, man. Yeah, we can, we can. I, I don't mind talking about that. If it, if it doesn't get you in trouble, I don't mind talking about that, sir. I don't know how much trouble I can get in talking about this. I mean, I, I, here locally in Albany, they used to have these little uh, winter uh, down to the South Mall. They used to have um, these little conventions where the ski areas used to come together. 
Uh-huh. And when I was a kid, it was a thing. They, all the skiers would go there and they would, people could come and talk to them about the ski area and, and this and that. And, uh, the, one of the guys that was running Gore, I, I started talking to him about, this. he says, I don't want to talk about this. It's not why I came here. So I backed off, you know, mm-hmm. Hey, wow. sometimes you can say it ain't going to change anything, you know? Exactly. Exactly. It, they're not going to, they're not going to stop Gore from up and they're going to shut it down. <laughs> yeah. New York state will do what it wants. Exactly. I mean, Bel Air, they spent all kinds of money putting that gondola up from the bottom of that thing that's flat. You could you could ski backwards on it and from below the the mid lodge. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, it's it's pathetically there's nothing to it. Significant snow making things that went to go on, but they built that big gondola and it goes nowhere. Yeah. And there's nobody going to stop them. Exactly. You know, the people, the people who work there are thankful they have jobs. I agree. Yeah. yeah. You know, and again, I, mean, I have my own beliefs about the flavor of Bel Air. It's not an exciting place to ski, in my mind. Yeah. It's not enough. It's not. It's, it's just not fun. Yeah. You know, it has a little drop at the very top. And, of course... And there's another tie-in. Um, one of the guys that helped Dr. Lane in the building of the Princeton Ski Bowl, he came over. He was one of the original workers on Bel Air. And they had to watch how they built that because of the soil content up near the top. There wasn't a lot of soil. And so they had to be very, very careful about cutting trees and this and that. Crazy. That's so, insane. You know, and Crazy. these small little tidbits. I found out from talking to him. He was a pretty incredible junior felter. He was a pretty incredible guy. He was one of the main helpers to Ben as far as the engineering on these on these lists, especially the big one, the big rope toe. Crazy. That's awesome. And everything's so intertwined here. It's crazy. Russ, I, I think that concludes our night. I mean, we've only talked for almost two hours, my friend. I might have to break this up into two two different parts. Oh, boy. Well, good luck trying to figure out where you're going to splice it and how <laughs> no. you're going to do it. Right? It's awesome stuff, though. I, I thank you for, for joining me tonight, man. It, it was awesome. Very good. Glad you enjoyed it. It's it's nothing I haven't done before. I think the elaboracy of our conversation is far more uh, well, it's far more elaborate than, than what I have done before. But every little piece of this, for those who are interested, it becomes even more fascinating. You know, and there is still a lot of things that I could have added to this regarding the Roxbury Ski Center and the two guys that developed that, who were the original parking lot attendants for Dr. Lane, and, and they built it and closed off. But there's, it just it goes on and on and on. And I just find it very fortunate on my, my own behalf that I was able to get to these people before they passed on, mm. that, that I could cement and have the realization of how intertwined all these stories are, you know? Yeah, that's crazy. For those who were interested, I mean, you know, not, not too many people are too interested in history, but for those who are, I guess it's a blessing. Yeah, 
I I could just imagine the the information and the stories you've gotten is just awesome. It's incredible. I mean, I could talk in in an elaborate for a portion about all these ski areas uh, that it, where I was able to meet these guys. You know, going back to some of the early startups and um, and their own their own thing and what they went through. Yeah, uh, it's it's pretty amazing, you know. And to take each one of these stories and individually talk about it, and then put it all together, I mean, it could be here forever, almost. You know, yeah, I yeah. spent I've spent several years accumulating all this information. I just feel blessed that I was able to find these people, and they were open enough with me to discuss this, even some of the touchy, the touchy stuff, you know. Yeah, but I think a lot of they're they're near the end of their life when they spoke to me, and they they felt they had nothing to lose, and I think they felt my sincerity involved. You know. Yeah, yeah, crazy. Well, once again, thank you for joining me tonight. I I really we got to get together, uh, and you got to take me a tour of Bear Pen. Yeah, well, there's something in the works right now with uh, a couple people. We did this once before with. Uh, the uh, Nelsap people, and, and I think it, it holds justice to go up there again with Dr. Lane, who's very physically able to go up there and do it again, you know, and this was the love of his life, so I'm sure he's up for it. Well, keep me keep me in the loop, please. Yeah, and you can hear my phone beeping. I'm running out of battery. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, uh, I will let you go. Um, thank you very much for joining me. Um, I hope you have a great night. Um, I'm just going to quick do this because it's recording. Uh, thank my sponsors, Scenic Route Guiding. Thank all the donors. Thank everyone who's listening. Subscribe on any platform. Look me up on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and the website. If you have any time, shoot me a review on Spotify, Apple, or podcast. Um, Russ, I'm going to post all your links of everything you have so people can read your amazing story. And once again, thank you. Keep in touch, please. Again, it's not about me. It's just my experiences. And it's and again, I feel, I feel blessed to be able to have done it. You know, I didn't make anything from it. It's just a labor of love. Yeah. Well, I thank you for doing this because it's an amazing story. Very good. Thank you. Have a good night. Sure.